Um, I think sometimes uh, anymore, there, there's, there's a lot of people who are interested in doing good, and that's a wonderful thing in our culture, wonderful thing in our society. But as people of faith, we don't do good. It's, it's interesting to uh, do this sort of sermon series on the heels of a sermon series that was about the Reformation, when the whole Reformation was built on, it's not about what you do. It's about what God has done. And then to do a series that says, hey, but God does ask us to do some stuff. He does ask us to get our hands dirty in this world, in this bringing redemption and reconciliation work to the world. He does ask us to get involved, not to just sit idly by and go, eh, it's rough for those people, but I got Jesus, I'm good. He asks us to get involved, asks us to get our hands dirty. And as we'll see today in Micah, he asks us to get our hands dirty because he got his hands dirty. You see what I'm saying? God doesn't do what he wasn't already willing to do. He doesn't ask us to do what he wasn't willing to do for us. I hope that makes sense. I hope you are picking that up. Obviously, he sent his son Jesus who put on flesh. He stepped out of heaven, stepped out of what was maybe the safest place for him to be. He stepped out and became vulnerable for you and for me. And so to ask us to do the same seems like a a simple thing, a relatively easy thing that we could give back in our gratitude for what he has done for us. I want to walk through Micah 6. And then next week we're going to look at Isaiah 58. This is a prophetic call to the people of Israel, the people of God, to to turn from the way they were going and turn back to God. And specifically what you'll see in that turn is that the people of God had lost sight of their call to care for everybody. They had lost sight of their call as the people of God to be a unique nation who served God and God alone. God was to be their king. They weren't supposed to be like the other nations around them, and and they had lost sight of that call. They had lost sight of it. They had lost track. And the prophets come in to say, come back. Come back to God. God is waiting for you. Come back. Come back. Come back. And there's a specific call that that coming back to God That specific call that involves them doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with their God. So I want to kind of unpack that for you again so that there's a biblical foundation for our motivation to serve the least of these. Micah 6. I'm going to put the words on the screen this morning. You can turn there in your own Bibles. I am uh, choosing this morning, um, in my own devotional reading, I really like to, to look at the New Living Translation. And that's just my personal kind of choice. I know we have the New International Version in the pews, and and that's totally fine as well. Uh, But there's a few phrases in here that I really like the way the New Living Translation uh, puts it, and there's a few that I don't, and I'll comment on those as well. Uh, But just so, I'm going to have it on the screen because I don't trust that everybody here has New Living Translation with them. Uh, There we go. So listen to what's going on here in Micah 6. What you're going to find is there are three voices Micah 6 is a conversation between three parties, between three parties. The first conversant is God, and God cries out, stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring bring charges against Israel. You don't want that to be said by God to you. But that's what he's saying. Hey, hey, you say you have a case against me. Let's hear it out. Let's hear it out. Let's have the debate. Let's have the argument. 
he will bring charges against Israel. And then he says, O my people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? Answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. Don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? How Balaam, son of Baor, blessed you instead? And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. State your case, said the Lord. What did I do to make you tired of me? That is the line that keeps grabbing my attention when I read this text. God calling out to his people, what did I do? That I made you tired of me. That I made you turn away from me. That that you rebelled against me. That you have no interest in following my ways. What did I do? God is saying. Do you hear that cry of lament from God? That it breaks God's heart when God's people turn from him. That that line just keeps grabbing my attention because I think so often we can see our own turning as just like, oh well, I mean God is up there and he's just kind of neutral. No, it breaks God's heart when people turn from him. It breaks God's heart. God longs to have a relationship with you, with me, with all of the people he has created. It breaks his heart when people walk away. This morning we sang the song uh, uh, Forever Rain where it talks about I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms. And every time we sing that song, I can't help but think of the story of the prodigal son. The story that Jesus says about a son who leaves home, squanders it all. And, it, and, and, and to flip the script on everything, he, Jesus tells this story and he says that even though the son blew it, he blew it all, at the moment when he returns, when he comes home, the father runs to him because he's been eagerly awaiting. Again, because it breaks the father's heart when we wander. It breaks the father's heart when the relationship is severed. And so like that, here in Micah, we read God saying, What have I done to you? What have I done? Listen to that phrase again. To make you tired of me. What have I done to make you tired? Tired of me? Or you want nothing to do with God? What did I do? God says, answer me. Answer me. Earlier in Micah, we learned that the people have rebelled. The people have participated in idolatry. They're worshiping and putting their trust in things that are not God. And consequently, Micah says, the people have developed wounds that are too deep to heal. That's how bad the situation is in Micah. Specifically, the situation has gotten so bad that Micah issues judgment, prophetic judgment against three groups of people. Three groups of people. The first is the wealthy. This is in chapter 2 and 3 if you want to kind of read through there. The wealthy, he says, who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans. Who rise at dawn to carry them out simply because they have the power to do so. The wealthy, the prophet declares, they find a way to seize land. They take people's homes by fraud and violence and they cheat people out of property. So he's issuing judgment against the wealthy. The second group is those who refuse to hear the prophets cry and actually he's judging these false prophets themselves. 
There's a group of people who are telling Micah, who are telling people like Micah, who are saying, return to the Lord. God wants to be in relationship with you, who are telling Micah, be quiet. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear harsh judgment against us. We don't want to receive that criticism. Stop it, Micah. Instead, he says, they are looking for prophets who will uh, soothe them. Give them a good word. He says they're looking for prophets who will say, I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. That's right there in the text. They'd rather hear that voice, that voice who says, everything is good. Everything is great. I'll preach to you the joys of wine and alcohol. Maybe that's what you were looking for this morning. We don't do that here. Okay. The people are living in this delusion. They're walking away from the Lord. They're abusing the powerless, the marginalized, women, children. There's these great abuses going on. They have forgot their way. They're called to be the people of God. But but they don't want to live up to reality. They don't want to deal with that reality. So they say, instead, preach to us the joys of wine and alcohol. Preach to us something that we can stomach, something we can handle, something that makes us believe everything's still okay. And finally, the third group Micah issues judgment against is the leaders. The leaders who are supposed to know right from wrong, but instead are the very ones who hate good and love evil. At one point in the text, Micah says, Listen, you leaders of Israel, you hate justice and twist all that is right. You're building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yes, all, yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. But because of you, Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. How would you like that to be said about you? Hey, leaders, you think you're doing the right thing, but you know you're cheating people. You're, 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 you can be paid off. How would you like that to be said about you? And because of you, leaders of Jerusalem, leaders of my people, God is saying, Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. See, just a little historical context. At this point in the history of the people, the Assyrians, the, the Assyrian armies have already destroyed the northern tribes. The northern tribes have been wiped out. They're gone. And the Assyrians have already put the, the southern tribes, Judah and Jerusalem, under a, a kind of a servitude of vassal relationship. You know, it's like they have to give tribute to Assyria. They have to give taxes to Assyria so Assyria won't wipe them out as well. Assyria has already marched all the way to the doors we hear about in Isaiah. They march all the way to Jerusalem's doors. And if not for the Lord's intervention, Jerusalem would have been destroyed. It would have been destroyed. And so instead of turning to the Lord in this moment and saying, God, help us. What would it take to turn to you, God? Instead of doing that, instead the rulers, the wealthy, even the priests are exploiting people. They're taking advantage of this already dire situation. They're taking advantage of it and exploiting the poor, taking property from people. And God asks, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to make you tired of following me? Answer me. 
It's not hard to imagine God crying out these same words at various points in human history, even at this point in human history. As we survey our own land and our world that we live in, it's not hard to imagine God's heart breaking, God weeping, asking, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to make you tired of me? As, as we look at the fact that there's, there's genocide still in our world today in 2017. Entire villages in Africa being wiped out. Racism, systemic oppression, poverty, refugee crises where people are driven from their homelands and have no place to go. Where bodies wash up. Bodies of small children washing up on the shores. That's the world we live in in 2017 where people can walk into houses of worship, walk into malls, armed with with crazy amounts of weapons and just just steal life from people like that. It's the world we live in, where somebody can, can, can just be out for a stroll in New York City, visiting, vacationing a tourist, and a person can drive down and just take people out. It's the world we live in. Can you imagine God's heart breaking, just saying, What is going on, my people? What did I do to make you tired of me? But in case we have forgotten, in case all of this starts to put us at a place where we we begin to lose hope as the people of God, we have to remember, as I said in the beginning, that God is not a God who stands far off, watches all this, and says, I'm not going to get involved. It's too messy. And God reminds the people of that. You see this whole section where God says, remember what I did for you. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember, I redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses. I gave you leaders. This one king tried to curse you, and instead I didn't let him. I sent this other guy to bless you. I was with you in those wilderness wanderings. When you all said, let's just go back to Egypt, it would be so much easier. God says, no, I was with you. I carried you through that. Don't you remember my people? that I'm willing to do it again. I'm willing to get involved in the messiness of this world. I've always been willing to do that. And I hope that you believe that today as well. That God is not distant. He's not far off. He's not looking down going, wow, what a mess these people have made. I can't do anything about it. No, God is very involved and he's asking us to get involved As well, the Lord reminds them, I did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness. I think the same can be said to us today, where God is saying, you may be tired of me, you might think you can turn your back on me, you may think you can quit on me, but you need to know this, God says, I will never give up on you. I will never give up on you, God says. And in our text this morning, a second voice responds. So we have God beginning. Remember, there's three people talking here. God begins and he says, what have I done? What have I done to deserve this? What did I do to make you tired of me? Remember all the things I did for you, my people. He's reaching out. And a second voice responds. A second voice enters the conversation. And this is the voice of the people. The voice of the people enters in. You could say this is the voice of every man or every woman. The nation of Israel's voice. And the nation of Israel responds, What do you want from us? What do you want from us, God? And it's interesting what, where they go with this and where Micah takes this text is, is the people, the way Micah writes this out, the way Micah prophesies, the people respond with, What kind of offering can we bring? 
okay, God, we've assessed the situation. You're pretty mad at us. How can we make you happy? It's kind of like, how can we get you off our back? How can we get in good with you, God? And it's an interesting question. I mean, the, the way that people, they want to make things right with God is to focus back on right worship. It's an interesting twist in the story here. The way that people want to get back with God, make things right, is to get back to the right sacrifice of their possessions. That will make God happy, they think. If we just give back to God the things He wants, maybe He'll leave us alone or maybe He'll help us and get rid of these Assyrian guys. It's like they believe they can appease God through their worship. Look at, look at what they say. What can we bring to the Lord should we bring Him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer Him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? They're getting serious here. What do you want from us, God? What do you want? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? I mean, they're pretty serious. See, it ramps up. As they go, what do you want from us, God? What do you want from us? 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Would that be enough? Even our firstborn children. We are willing to do, they're trying to show God, we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing, God, to do whatever it takes. In this text, I would argue that as we look at the Word of God and we try to discern what this has to do with us thousands of years later, I would argue that this is our voice in the text. This is our voice. God, okay, you, you, we've surveyed this land and it looks like, God, we have forgotten you. We looked at our world, God, and it looks like a lot of people have forgotten you, God. What do you want from us? Should we just go to worship more? Maybe we start going to church a whole lot more. That would change things. Maybe we just started giving a lot more. That would change things. You know, we, we go through these things of, what do I need to do, God? And we ask this from a genuine place. What do you want from us, God? What do you want? I want to argue this morning that that's a dangerous question to ask. It's a dangerous question to ask. Because what if God responds? What if God tells us what he wants? Are we willing to listen? And not just hear it, not just go, oh, okay, that was interesting, but to obey, to hear it and obey. What do you want from me, God? We better ask, before, before, we better ask ourselves, before we ask that question, are we willing to do something if God says, here's what I want, here's what I'm looking for, here's what it means to follow me, are we willing to obey? What do you want from us, God? Again, we live in a time where threats of terror and violence are real. They can happen at any moment to any one of us. That's the reality of the world we live in. It can happen at any moment to any one of us. We live in a time where people peacefully praying in church can have their lives stolen. People riding their bikes, strolling along can have their lives stolen in an instant. We live in a time where children and family are fleeing from, fleeing from their homelands, running for their lives, struggling to find food, shelter, the basic necessities of human life. We live in a time where children are hungry, people in our world lack clean water, basic necessities in 2017. We live in a time 
Now, if you've been paying attention the last couple of weeks, where wealthy executives, celebrities, politicians think they can prey on people, sexually abuse and harass people, that's the time we live in. Can you hear the Lord crying out? What did I do to make you tired of me? And we respond. We want to respond, Lord, then, as, especially as a people of faith, I hear this. I see this sentiment in my news feeds on Facebook. I hear it in your voices. I hear it in my own soul. God, what do you want from me? How do we help turn people back to you, God? People are spiritually starved, God. Help us. What do you want from us? And again, the question is, when we ask that, that dangerous question, and the Lord responds, will we obey? And this is where the third voice enters the scene, the voice of the prophet, and we get an answer to the question. The prophet says, no, people, no, it's not about the sacrifices, it's not about all this stuff. We're going to see that again next week in the Isaiah text. You can read about it in Amos as well. This is a consistent prophetic message. The people of God, they, they want to say, God, I'll, I'll give you stuff. I'll make my worship right. And consistently, we hear the voice of the prophet say, no. No, the Lord's already told you what's good. He says, this is what he requires of you. And, and if something like that pops up in the Bible, where it says, this is what God wants, I think we need to pay attention. This is what the Lord requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The Lord has already told you what is good. See, this is that, that scathing prophetic voice. You already know. People of God, you already know. You already know what is good. You already know what God wants. Do it. He wants you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I want to unpack these three things, these three phrases to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So I want to conclude the sermon by, by, by explaining what I think these things mean. Because really this morning what I want to leave you with, what I want to offer you is not a, hey, this is what you have to do. Here's the five points to achieve. Achieve this text. Achieve this thing. What does God want from me? Here's the five things. Whew, glad we got that taken care of. It's not the point this morning. The point is for God to start to do something in each and every one of us to stir us to action, to stir us to care, to discover where do, does my heart break? God, where are you breaking my heart? God, where is your heart break and how can I go to that place and join you in what you're already doing? So the first thing, do what is right. That's my translation. I said there were some things I don't like about this translation. I'm just going to say straight up, that's a bad translation. Do what is right. Okay. Do what is right. The word here is literally mishpat. This is a huge Hebrew word. All throughout the Hebrew Old Testament, this word shows up again and again and again. It's most often translated justice. But basically what I've read is that it designates what is one's due. What is one's due? Maybe that's a little bit of a, of a strange translation. But in other words, it says people have a legitimate claim or something owed to them. And Mishpat is making that claim right. It's making it right. So, so a basic thing would be like, hey, somebody owes me $1,000. I don't know who you are, but somebody does. 
And making it right would be giving me my $1,000. That would be doing mishpat, doing justice. There is a wrong that's been committed, and you make it right. There's something out of whack, and you make it right. That's doing mishpat. My seminary professor, uh, Bob Hubbard, he says, To do justice means to restore a situation that's currently out of whack from its original appropriate condition. And you have to remember, again, Micah's words are to those who are stealing property, cheating people out of, their, out of their homes, out of their land, who are bribing people. You have priests who are like, oh, I'll give you a good prophetic word if you put a little money in the pocket, you know what I mean? I'll shoot up a little nice prayer to heaven for you if you sweeten the pot a little bit over here. And he's saying to them, no, do what is right. Make things right again. Where things are broken, where they're out of whack, make things right. Make things right. Restoration is needed. Micah is saying a doing of justice, a making things right, has to happen if you want to get back to following God. And again, the role model here is God. God has been in this business of making things right. When the people were in slavery in Egypt, he says, you called out to me and I sent Moses. I made things right. You were wandering in the desert and the king wanted to curse you and I sent this guy to bless you instead. See, I made things right. Ultimately, we can look to Jesus. Hey, things were so out of whack, right? So out of whack beyond what we could do to repair the relationship with God and God says, I made things right. I sent Jesus to make things right. And so God is our model of making things right. Doing justice, making things right, looking for situations, places that are out of whack. These food boxes are a small representation of that. We live in a world of abundance and we hear about people who are going without food and we say, we can do something to make things right. We can. We do have that ability. We're able to do that. That's a small example where we can easily, tangibly say, I can make things right for this family, that family, these people. Those of you running the marathon uh, for World Vision, a lot of you responded because you saw there are kids, there are people, there's communities in our world who don't have access to clean drinking water, and I think that's wrong, and I want to work to make things right. So I want to do my part to make things right. There's all kinds of ways we can do that that are small and that are large. Doing mishpat, doing justice to heal what is broken in our world. And it's awesome. We get to participate with what God is doing as we do that. It's not just about us working our tails off to try to earn something. No. It's participating with what God is doing and bringing justice to our world. So the first thing is to do justice. The second thing he says, what do you want from me? What do you, what do you want from me? I want you to love kindness. Others say love mercy. Again, I, I found that it was helpful to go back to the Hebrew here and say, what is this word really about? It's not just loving kindness. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, kindness has come to be associated with like being generically nice. And I don't think God is surveying the situation and he's saying, like, can't you just be nice? Like, a, can't we all just get along type of a thing? I don't think God is surveying people who are robbing people from their homes, cheating people, and he's like, come on, guys, just be nice. 
So the Hebrew word here is chesed. It's one of those Hebrew ones that you have to do the like, clear the throat word. Chesed. Again, mishpat, chesed. These are always together. Love, justice, or sorry, do justice, love, kindness. Do mishpat, love, chesed. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann said, Hesed is best described as practicing a life of reliable solidarity. Practicing a life of reliable solidarity. It's often paired with faithfulness. So God is described often as, as showing Hesed. See, we're called to love Hesed because we serve a God who is faithful, who is kind, who stands in solidarity with his people, who chooses for some crazy reason to identify with people like you and me. So that's what God does time and time again. God shows again that he is willing to identify with you, identify with me. Even in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, God doesn't say, and that's the amazing thing about this text, just, just real quick. He's done all this judgment He said, your wounds are too deep to heal. And then he says, but I'm going to heal them if you would just turn to me and do these things. Because God wants to stand in solidarity with us. See, if mishpat, if doing justice is about what we can do to love God with all we have, chesed is about loving our neighbor as ourself. It's about recognizing that there are people on the road with us, on the path with us, and we stand in solidarity with them and love them as God would love them. Do justice. Love kindness. And finally, what does the Lord want from us? God, what do you want from us? Walk humbly with your God. I want to unpack that in a couple ways. First, I want to unpack walk humbly and then with God. Walk humbly. Again, Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament professor, he says this. He says, walking humbly is in contrast to strutting. I really like this. He was unpacking what does it mean to walk humbly, and what he found is that the best place, if you go to the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs often, uh, it, it lays against one another. It says, pride is this way. There's the proud and there's the humble. And the proud strut. The proud are like, here I am. What's up? And the humble, the humble are, are a little bit lower. Now, this isn't the humility. This isn't the humility that's like just the self-effacing, like self-loathing humility. Sometimes we think it means to be a Christian. I just have to like hate myself and feel really terrible. That's not the humility he's talking about here. He says, walking humbly is to pay attention to the other, to recognize that on the path with me are other people from whom I receive my identity. How do you think about that for a moment? He says, the strutter acknowledges nobody else, imagines he doesn't need anybody else. And so Micah is answering the question, how do we walk? How do we do this stuff? So he wants us to do justice and love kindness, but how should we go about it? Walk humbly. He's calling our attention to the need and inescapability of the others who walk with us on the path of life. Who is walking with you on life's path? Who are the people around you that you interact with every day? The people that, whether you know it or not, whether it's intentional, accidental, subconscious, they're forming you. They're shaping you. For good, for bad, 
They're having an impact on you, and you are having an impact on them. Are you strutting? Are they strutting? Are you walking humbly, recognizing that there's these other people all around you on life's journey? What are we modeling for these other people? Are we doing justice with them? Are we loving kindness with them? Are we walking humbly with them? See, we learn this behavior from people around us. We are impressionable people. And so this walking humbly part is a serious opportunity for us. God, what do you want from us? And God says, as you walk with people, as you interact with your community, walk humbly. Walk humbly. And the last part is to walk humbly with God. This is the last part. I mean, none of this matters, honestly. I would argue, if we're trying to make things right, we're trying to be just nice people, kind people, love our neighbors, we're trying to do all that stuff, we're trying to be humble, but if we're not doing it with God, in God's ways, modeled after our Savior, modeled after Him stepping down to the earth to sacrifice for us, if we're not doing it with that intentionality, it's not that it's all for naught, but, but what's the motivation? I feel like the motivation, if we're not doing it with God and for God, partnering with the creator of all things, if if that's not our motivation, then ultimately we're doing it for us. But our motivation is to do it for God, with God. Throughout scriptures, the language of the walk or the way has been prominent. Following God is a journey. It's a way patterned not by our whims and wishes, our hopes and desires, but patterned by God's will, God's way, God's intentions for our lives. At least that's what we believe for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus. We follow God's way. So we walk humbly with God, with God by our side. Are you conscious of that in your life? That you're walking with God? You're not alone. You're not just representing you. You're Christ's ambassador. You're walking with God. See, this is what has caused Christians throughout the centuries to enter into scary places, crazy places, and say, we are here in Jesus' name because we believe we're here with God. This is what caused Christians to do crazy things during the plagues, just to stay there. When everybody else is like, get out. We're going to stay and care for people in need because we believe we're walking with God. God is with us. God is guiding us. God is our protection, our shield. God is our strength. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy, especially with all the things I mentioned before. It's easy to start to want to pull back and isolate. But we have to remember we walk with God. We walk with God. See, we are instructed as people of faith to fear God alone because God, unlike others, won't use that fear to manipulate us. You understand that? Others use fear to manipulate us, right? Be afraid or vote for me because I'll help you with the things you're afraid of. Buy this thing because you're afraid that you don't look good enough. But if you buy this thing, it'll fix that. 
But God, the, the Bible says fear God alone because he's the only one who won't use that fear to manipulate us. See, no, God casts out that fear. Jesus has overcome the world and its terrors, so walk humbly with God. See me, Covenant Church, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, now you know what the Lord requires. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do live in troubling times, and yet we trust your word that says there is hope. There is always hope. Lord, we trust your word that calls us even in troubling times. Lord, to put those things that are out of whack back, to, back in place to work towards restoration, reconciliation, redemption. Lord, you have called us to that work as your people. You have called us to that, Lord, because that's what you have done. You have worked on our behalf to reconcile us, restore us, redeem us. God, we look to you as our model. We ask, God, for your Spirit's guidance. Lord, we don't want to just start running after things that aren't things you would have us run after. We want to walk with you, God, into the places you would have us go, into the places you would call us. God, help us to hear your voice and go to the places, Lord, that you would send us, you would call us, where you are working, where restoration, healing, and wholeness can happen. Lord, send us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our closing song.